Thanks for tuning in to the Voyage Church Podcast. Our desire is that today's message will be significant for all of us on the voyage of becoming. I want to unpack for you guys today, and um, this whole series has been on being at the Father's table. Week one, John talked about how it was only by the grace of God that we get to the table, and then Jonathan last week talked about how a posture of thanksgiving keeps us at the table. And week one, John said this, and Jesus, and I firmly believe that this is a truth that we need to actually, like, we need to know this, that Jesus wants to break down our walls so he can build a bigger table. We need to break down walls in our life so that Jesus can bring more people to the table so that we can have more people around him. And I think this is exemplified in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of, end of, end of the age. Sorry, I'm a little nervous, but it's all fine. Um, if I tell you to go and make something, it's a command. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a suggestion. If I say, hey, go make me a sandwich, it is, it's a command. It, that actual sentence structure is a command. You have to go do it. Jesus tells us, go and make disciples. It's not just for the people up here doing ministry. It's not just for John. It's not just for Shauna. It's not just for Jonathan. It's for all people who call themselves followers of Christ to make more disciples. And one of the things that the American church has become is it's more like a country club than a, than a hospital for those who need it. When our, we know people in our lives that are dying, their souls are, they, they're, complete, they're dead in their sin. And the thing is, is that if we're not going out and telling them, hey, I got something that I can help you with. There's this guy named Jesus. He's fixed my life. Let me talk to you about it. We get so caught up in our bubbles that we never look down, and we look down, and we see that the need around us. Oh. I'm not sure how to work this sometimes, but, you know, it's fine. Oh, you got inverted. That's weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's not my laptop. I don't, I don't, really, I don't get this kind of fancy tech. Um, church is not a place that we go to on Sundays because the coffee's good, the worship looks cool, or they let a college student get up on stage and talk to y'all. Um, it's a place that equips us, the saints, for the mission of spreading the gospel and making Christ known. And I want to side point on this. Um, we hear this saying, like, I have this calling. I'm called to this ministry. I'm called to the nations. You can't fulfill your calling if you don't know what your purpose is. Your purpose is to make Christ known. And if you can't fulfill your purpose outside of where God, you feel like God's calling you, you're, you're not going to effectively do that. We think that like, oh, I will start preaching the gospel and talking about it when I get up there. When I start putting myself up on that stage or I'm in the nations, God will then give me the confidence to talk about it. But that's not true. When we say I have this calling, we often associate it with I'll serve or do ministry once God puts me where, he, where I want to be. And the problem is, is that when we do that, we're shortchanging the power that the purpose has. Your purpose changes your circumstance. Your purpose, it affects the whole environment in which you've been placed in. 
and our purpose in life is to go and make disciples. It's not, this isn't, this isn't an, an option. It's, if we say, I'm a follower of Christ, part of that entails, I'm going to tell people about Christ. It's not optional. I'm, if, I could t- if I could tell you that, hey, yeah, you can accept Jesus into your heart and do whatever you want for the rest of your life, I'm, I would be shortchanging the power of God has on your life. And we so often want to bring people to the table. We want our family members to know Christ. We may want people, we may be like sitting at the, at the gas station being like, man, I really hope this person in front of me like has the Holy Spirit come down and they get convicted and all that. We have to act in authority. Like when we get that guy, that kind of aching in our heart, be like, I need to tell them about God. We should do it. We should follow it. But we learned in this is the gospel series inviting someone to church is not sharing the gospel. That's part of it, but that's not the whole thing. Anyone can say, come to church. You know what, if someone, if someone comes up to me and says, hey, I go to church, you know what that tells me? Okay, you're busy until noon on Sundays. That doesn't tell me anything about your relationship with Christ. Where has God met you, and where has God changed your life? Why are you walking differently than how you have walked? Are you getting healing for things that you've been needing healing from? Is Christ changing you? And the thing is, is that people aren't going to know if Christ is affecting you unless they see how you're walking when you're away from the table. And then they also see how often you're going back to the table. Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of, of his return is drawing near. Our purpose on Sundays are not for our ears to be tickled and be like, oh, wow, worship was really fun. We were jumping around. It was all crazy. It's, and, and, we're not, not, and maybe perhaps I might beat the Instagram page. It's not, it's not about that. It's so that we can be equipped throughout the week. Sundays are an overflow of what we're doing throughout the week. I know a lot of people up here, I, I've heard this, are like, oh, the, the kids up front, they're a, they're, a little, they're a little energized. They like making it about them. Here's the thing. I'm one of those kids, and I know these people. This is an overflow. They are willing to worship the same way that they've been worshiping on a Thursday afternoon. We can't let Sundays be the place that, oh, it's going to fill me. And I'm never going to do anything about it until next Sunday. We have to keep going back to the word of God. And in Matthew 18, 20 says, For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. When you get in community, when you decide to sit down at the table with your family and say, let's talk about God together. You want, like, I want to know God. I want to know, I want to know Jesus. I want to know, I want to know him. Get in community. I don't understand why people say, well, I have a pretty good relationship with God. Have you gone to church? Have you talked to anyone about Jesus? No. How do you know you're talking to God then? Because when you are able to confer with other people, be like, the reason that we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is so that you can understand from each perspective of the testimony of Jesus and and what he lived. You need multiple perspectives on something so you can understand if it's true or not. That's why we need community so we can confer together and understand that Jesus, who is the one who saved me, who is the one that's given me life, who is the one that has changed me forever, I need other people to know that, but I also need other people to make sure that I'm going in the right direction. Proverbs 27, 17 says, so as we get together, 
I'm sorry. Uh, as sh iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Ever like see the uh, like the like chefs? They have like those knives and they go like ching ching ching. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it's called, but like like the when when it comes together, it, it, they're sharpening each other, right? They have to come together, right? They have to they have to meet so that they can be sharpened. But the purpose of that is so that it can be used outside of that. So when we meet together and we come together on Sundays, and, we, and I'm not limiting it to Sundays. We, can't, we cannot limit it to just Sundays. We have to do this on Monday, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every day of the week. We have to be, as much as we gather with our family and as much as we actually eat at the table of our homes, we're gathering together in the name of God. The purpose of the knife when it's sharpened is to be used. Last week, Jonathan mentioned uh, two types of knowledge in the Greek, which is udes and gnosko. Udes is this like, is this factual knowledge. Like I know this for a fact, which is like the, uh, it's, it's the Bible. You know, I know what the scriptures say. I know this about God. I know this characteristic about God. I know this, I know this, this happened, this happened. I know it for a fact. You need that, but just as much as you need that, you also need the relational knowledge, which is gnosko, and that is developed in your prayer life. How often do we say, if, if, if I love someone, right, if I have, if I have any love for someone, what, I, what do I do? I communicate with them. I talk to them, right? If I want to build that love, you have to communicate to God. And so how do we do that? It's prayer, consistent prayer, constantly getting in the, constantly talking to him. If you had someone in your life and they really came beside you and say, hey, bud, I need to talk to you. I need, I need to talk to you for a little bit. Would you not, if, if that person is really dear to you and if you really love them, you'll take time out of your day, out of what you're doing, and you will talk to them. When was the last time you decided to just spend a day or a few hours just praying to God, just talking to him? Talk to him like a friend. Talk to him like a father. When was the last time you actually sat down and did that? Amos 3.3 3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? God's, God's way is set in stone. It's Yahweh or no way. Um, God wants to lead us, right? If I don't confer with him and pray to him and talk to him, how am I going to know which way he's taking me? The, 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 the path of destruction is wide and the path of the righteous is narrow. We have to know which way he's taking us, and we have to confer with him. We have to talk to him. I, we, we, we so often want to have this prayer of like, requests, like, God, I pray for this parking spot. I can find a parking spot at church. I pray that I can get a raise so that I can, like, you know, buy a new boat and also maybe maybe tie a little bit more. Uh, I pray for this relationship. But, you know, me, me personally, single, but uh, anyone's hit me up. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, 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 but, but I, I, don't, I don't pray to God saying, I don't pray to God saying, hey, 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 give me a wife. I, I, I need this. I need this. That's not, that's, not, that's not how we pray to God, right? So we say, in, in, in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, okay, calm down a little bit, okay? <laughs> Matthew 6, Jesus tells us how to pray. He says, he says pray, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
give us this day our daily bread and forgive us uh, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into unto temptation but deliver us from evil nowhere does it say give me this i need this what it does say is he acknowledges the father's power he acknowledges the father's authority he requests for the daily sustenance, not what's in the future, not, not, not what's down the road, but he says, give me what I need today, and I'll need you to lead me. When was the last time you let God lead you? When was the last time that you just said, okay, I'm going to pray to God, I'm going to get to know him, and I'm going to have him lead me to where he wants me to go? We so often were like, I don't really think that God is leading me this way because it's uncomfortable for me. We think that if if it doesn't fit in our box of what we have this image of God, then it's not God. But the thing is, is that God is far greater than whatever box you put him in. Ephesians 3, 8 through 11 says, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he has graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul, the guy who wrote over half the New Testament... The guy who was one of the most foundational people in the early church says, I'm the least deserving person of all this. In 1 Timothy 1 through 1, uh, 1.15, he says, of all sinners, I am chief. He says that he's the worst person out of all of us. And yet he decided to turn around and build the early church, fulfill the calling that God has put on his life. The purpose of the church this congregation, this ecclesia of us, is to let the power of God be known to everyone that is not a part of us right now. We can't go into our communities and let it be like a country club where we say, yeah, we come together on Sundays and we don't really do anything else. Um, you can come join us if you want. No, we meet their needs. We, become, we, we go to them and we're like, hey, you need this? I'm going to help you. I'm going I'm to let you know that there's a better way. I'm going to keep outpouring into you so that you, can be, so that you can be better than you are and you can actually find what true life really is. We have people that are so close to us that we, we want them to see Christ, but we're not willing to actually talk to them about Christ because it's awkward. What if they get offended? What, uh, can someone else talk about him? Like so, there's, there's far other more righteous people than me to talk about Jesus to this person. When are we going to get out of our comfort zone and get into the comfort of the Holy Spirit and just go at it and make Christ known? A good prayer life is not one that has a bunch of words. It's not one that is that's very intellectually thought out. It's one with a lot of tears. Where your tears are, there your heart will be also. 
Jesus would look onto the city. He would look onto Jerusalem and he would say, Oh, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you, but you are unwilling. When was the last time you looked at someone who was lost and you were like, I want you to see him. I want you to see Jesus. I, you need him. You're walking towards death, and I'm trying to stop you. It's like watch, watching someone walk out onto like a train track with a train coming, and you're like, stop, I want to help you. When was the last time you got vocal about it? We can't just be like, I accepted Jesus into my heart, and I'm just going to kind of do my own thing, and, oh, they're doing it, but I don't want to make them uncomfortable because if I, if I start yelling at them, they might, they might not like me. You're saving them from death. We can't just keep living our lives in our bubbles, if we never look onto the community and see that there is a need, there's a need for Jesus, if we can never look onto our community and see that the Jesus is needed there, then we'll never be able to fulfill what God has led us out for. There are seven blessings in Revelation. And I want to I make this clear, though. Um, the blessings in Revelation, they're not exactly for you right now. It's not, you're not supposed to be like, okay, I'm going to do these things so that I can be blessed now. I can have good finances. I can have all this so I can live here comfortable on earth. They're blessings so that people know that there's something different about you and you can bring more people to Christ. There are currencies in the kingdom. One of those is faith. The other one is your relationships. When you build your relationships and you let make Christ known in them, there are these blessings that are placed on your life they, they help bring other people to, to, to Christ. And the first one, and, and I'm going to be jumping around on these because I'm going to talk about the structure at the end, but it's something that's like, studying this has been like really like crazy, and I'm like, oh, opening my mind. But um, anyways, so Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is not a blessing, me saying, I'm blessed because I get up here on the, on, on, on the platform and I get to talk to you guys about it. It's, not, it's far deeper than that. Literacy rates at this time period was between 3 and 7%. People had to hear this. The only, Romans 10, 17 says, so, so faith comes from hearing and hearing the words of Christ. It has to be vocal. You have to talk about it. You have to, there are so many people who are unwilling to open a Bible, so the only Bible they'll read is your life. A.W. Tozer once wrote this. He said, Satan's greatest weapon is a man's ignorance of God's word. When it says here in Revelation 1.3, it says here, it's the actual better word is listen. I can hear, I can, you guys can hear me, right? You hear me talking. You, I hope you're hearing, because that'd be weird, but um, if you don't understand it, you don't listen, understand it, and apply it, there's no point in me being up here. The blessing is not upon you. It's like, it, it's not saying, oh, I, I listened to the Bible, but have you applied it, though? Have you applied it to your life? And this one is like, it, it's crucial to understand this part, because if you don't understand this part, the rest of this isn't going to make sense. Apply the word of God to your life. Don't just be this person who comes to church on Sundays. I feel a little convicted. Let's go to Moe's. Apply it to your life. The seventh, and la the seventh one, so you're going from the beginning of Revelation all the way to the end. Revelation 22:14, 14, which says, Blessed are those who wash their robes 
so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Okay, a lot to unpack here. Those who wash their robes. I love the blood, the song that we, that we were singing. I've been washed from the inside out. Isn't that weird when you think about it? When you, you, you put a sponge in the water, right? It soaks from the outside in. You've been washed from the inside out. Your heart's been healed, and that extends to your extremities, which extends to your actions, which extends to your vocal cords, which extends to your words. You can't, you can't say, I've been washed from the inside out, and then things don't change. It's talking about repentance, and that's a big word for some of y'all, but it just literally means to turn away from, okay? And you're turning to Jesus. I don't want y'all to get to this point where you're like, I got to turn away from the sin, and you're not turning to Jesus. Because if, if you don't turn to Jesus, then what's the point of saying you're repenting? It, it, okay. They may have the right to the tree of life, right? That's first mentioned in Genesis uh, 2.9, and then I'm not going to go through that whole thing, but it, Adam and Eve were in the garden. They had a decision. They could either eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and, or not. It was a yes or no thing. And then God's like, this, the serpent came up, and they're like, oh, I guess I could do it. When they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that created a separation between man and God. When man and God got separated, God kicked them out of the garden, not because, oh, you guys are, you guys are disobedient. Because if they ate from the tree of life... They would be eternally separated. They would be separated forever. There would be no way for God, to, for us to come back to God. He did this for the room for atonement so that we could come back to Christ and we could be made one with God once again. You, that they may enter the city by the gates. In John 10, 9, it says, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the gate. You don't get into the party without going through Jesus. You have to know him. If, uh, if you want to get through the gate, he is the gate. You have to go to Jesus, and you have to go through. But I want to explain that. I want to emphasize this. He is the gate that gets us to there, but what disservice are we doing if we don't walk through it? In Revelation 22, 7, it says, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of prophecy in this book. Okay? Uh, follow the words. Um, next one. Uh, Revelation 14, 12 through 13. Here is a call for endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Some of y'all were like really with me on that first two, and then you hear like dead, and you're like, ah, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> Galatians uh, 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I will live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3, 3 through 4. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also you will you also will appear with him in glory. 2 Corinthians 5 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Okay, that's 
three separate letters, three separate books, all saying the old you is dead. Before you knew Christ, that person that, that was alive before Christ, alive, you're still dead, okay? You are a new creation. I don't walk how I used to. I don't talk how I used to. I went to a wedding this past, like, July, and I haven't seen these people in, like, three years. I moved to Florida, like, two years ago. I'm from Atlanta. Um, and people haven't seen me in a few years. And when I tell you that people I knew in high school did not recognize me, it wasn't because I grew, like, two inches. It was because I was starting to talk about that. I was talking to them, yeah, no, I'm going to, sound, I'm going to a, a Bible college. I want to pursue a degree in, like, in biblical studies, and I really want to, I, I found God, and he's changed my life. People looked at me, and they were like, you? Ministry? Like, with the Bible and stuff? I'm no longer the same person that I was when I, before I knew Christ. It's a completely different person. And there are things that come to mind when you say, oh, that, per- that part of me is dead now. There are parts of you that are still, you're trying to cut back. You're trying to be like, I don't do that anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't watch that stuff anymore. I don't, I, don't, I don't smoke that anymore. I don't drink that stuff anymore. And it, and it feels like it keeps coming at you. It's because you have to cut it completely out. Um, you have to have these, do something radical. I felt the presence of God. I packed up all my stuff, and within two weeks, I decided to move from Atlanta to here and just get, just follow God completely. Do something radical. I knew that in the place that I was, I was, I was not a believer. I was not pursuing God at all. I had to cut these things back, and I said, I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to move six hours south. I'm going to move in with my grandparents. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to try to go to college, see what happens there. I was a college dropout with nowhere to go. But I was like, I think God's telling me I have to go to Florida, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. Do something radical like that following God. You, see, you, you want God to, to come through? Do something radical like that. 1 John 2, 6, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the way in which he walked, he being Jesus. You got to walk like Jesus. You got to talk like Jesus. You can't just keep having this halfway, halfway done uh, faith. Faith is you have to be completely sold out. The fifth blessing is blessed and holy is who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they will be priest over God in Christ and they will reign for him for a thousand years. You are set apart when you share in the first resurrection. When you say, when you die in Christ and you say you are set apart from everyone else, you are, you are a new creation. You go to heaven. It's awesome. But I can't emphasize this enough. Be fully sold out. Numbers 14 um, talks about the Israelites getting through the promised land because they, they get taken away from the promised land. They don't get it because they're causing, they're, they're, they're fighting each other. They're like, oh, there's, there's these guys that are in the promised land and I don't think God was really like, he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't being truthful about this. I can't, I can't go there. And then Caleb and Joshua are like, hey, if God said we can do it, we can do it. Let's do it. And then they get to start fighting each other. They start like, they're like, okay, you know what? We're going to kill these guys because these guys are stupid. We're going to get ourselves killed. And then Josh, and then God's like, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land in which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. 
you get the promised land because you're fully serve, you're fully committed to serve God. Now these last two are heavy, and this is what the whole series has been bound up in. The Revelation 16, 15. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me and who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Let me be utmostly clear about this. It's not saying for you to live your life in fear of when Jesus comes back. I understand the, the, the significance of what's happening in Israel right now. But if we become fearful as to what's happening and we get scared of what's, of, of what's happening out there and we live our lives in fear, then we're not doing what the purpose of Revelation is telling us to do. It is telling, it is giving us assurance in the victory that Jesus Christ has over sin and death. And we have to act as such. If we keep saying, oh, well, you know, another end times thing, another end, end times prophecy, I guess I'm going to shelter up. No, it should be, we should long to gather people. We should be like, it should be even more important that we get people in church. We get people together. We talk about Jesus. We get people to Christ. But in, um, this, this, uh, this blessing is rooted in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, which is the parable of the 10 virgins. And marriage, if you think weddings are big now, you should have seen what they were like back then. It's crazy. So first, a marriage contract is signed by the parents of the bride and the bridegroom. And the parents of the bride and the, or the bridegroom would pay this dowry to the bride. They would, uh, they, would, they would make a payment. Jesus's payment for us was him giving his life on a cross. It was him saying, I, I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm willing to sacrifice myself for my bride because my bride should be able to walk in in, in eternal life. You, get, you gotta get this. We are the bride of Christ. If you don't, is he, that's kind of weird. I don't think marrying Christ, that's, there is no, there's no male or female in the kingdom of heaven. Let's just get that out of the way. The second step in the process usually occurred much later when the bridegroom is accompanied by his male friends and they went to the house of the bride. If he came at night, he and his companions would create a torchlight parade through the streets. The bride would know in advance that this was going to take place so that she would be ready with her maiden so she would join in the parade and end up at the bridegroom's home and uh, marriage happens. Um, we're not going to wait in angst and fear, but we are ready. I'm, I, I'm living my life because I'm not even, even going to like, I'm not going to abuse the grace, the week one. We can't abuse the grace of God being like, well, you, you know, I, I was doing pretty good, but, you know, I still was sh struggling with this. I didn't actually think it was really a problem. I mean, you, you said grace, so I was like, oh, I can still live in this. No. We can't abuse grace. That's like one of the most important things about this. And then the last one, which is kind of tied up this whole series, which says Revelation 19, 6 through 9, that says, Then I heard what seemed like a grace of a, void, of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters with the sound of mighty peals of the thunder crying, Hallelujah! For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage of supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. 
Um, we're invited to the marriage supper. You, we think that if we think Thanksgiving is going to be good, yeah, grandma's cooking or whatever, if you think that's good, this is better. Just saying, okay? How do I know if I'm invited? Well, you are. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is part of that. But if I really believe this, who else am I going to bring to the table? Am I going to get to that table in heaven and be like, oh, where's, where's John or where's Micah? Where's, where, where are those guys? You weren't talking about God. You, you have to break down walls so that he can make the table longer. It's only by the grace that we get to the table. And if that grace applies for us, we have to make sure that grace applies for everyone else around us. It's the Father's table. It's the Father's house. It is by Jesus that we get to the table. It is for Jesus. But it is only by the Holy Spirit that we actually have the authority to extend the invitations on behalf of of Jesus Christ. So, uh, yeah, tag up, tag up, let's go. Come on, give it up. Such. Here's what, coming off the back end of that, week one, grace gets you to the table. Your posture of thankfulness keeps you at the table. What's this week? It's your job to get people to the table. It's your job. It's your job. What a powerful reality that Drew gives. It's not the church's job. I wish the church would. Hey, Pastor John, I wish you and Shauna and your church would do X, Y, Z. No, no. It's not our church. Jesus' church and his church is the bride, which is a people. So what you're saying that we should do, you're actually saying that you should do. And that's good news because it's your job to get people to the table. Get people to the table. Some of you are about to gather around family and friends and moms and dads and grandparents. There are some of you, Shauna was just praying with a young lady in the hallway right before service who's gotten saved, gotten a hold of the things of God. She's serving and talking about where she lives and the people she's around aren't following God. And it makes it difficult when you're living your your mornings and your nights in a house, and you're running after the things of God, and they're not, and there's a tension. Hear me, Christian. Wherever there's a tension, it should get your attention because that means there's an opportunity to get someone to the table. And it's not preaching every moment. It's not throwing open Bible verses in front of them every moment. It's living a life that causes them to lean in. It causes them when you're seated at the Father's table and they, they walk up. Have you ever been in a restaurant and you see someone you know? Or maybe you saw a friend and you kind of walk up to their table, right? And it's like, I just wanted to say hey real quick. It's usually only the people who are like super, super close and they're just like, come on, grab a chair. Like, come on, we're making room. But some of us is the people like aren't so like, hi, oh, it's good to see you. I hope you walk away soon because I really just, I saw you at work and I don't really want to see you anymore. We've got people in our lives 
that if you're living for Christ, they're looking at you, and it's as if they're walking, hey, how are you? I recognize there's something different. Man, this is nice. How did you get to this table? And it's our job to pull up a seat and let them know, hey, this table's for you too. There's, there was three things that the guys had really broke down in, in, their, in their study. And I believe this. If grace gets us to the table and Thanksgiving keeps us at the table, there is something needed right now today to get people to the table. And this is the reality. Because a lot of what Drew just preached is so true for so many of us. It's easy to be halfway in, halfway out. It's easy for the things of God to be a checkbox. And, and this isn't like a directed statement towards one person. This is just American Christianity. We've just done this in the West. And I believe, and, and Jesus promises it, so praise God, but I believe that there's got to be revival for us to see more seats at the table. And what Jesus promises that in the last days, there's going to be a great harvest. He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And do you know how he's going to do it? Well, the first way he's going to do it is by how we love. There was this definition I actually heard about being a pure revivalist. I want you to know that you're called to be a revivalist. And this definition, I, have, I, I keep iCloud notes. So I actually wrote this note down in 2013. I looked at it last night. This is the definition of a pure revivalist. Focused, passionate, one who is willing to pay any price to live in community, purity, and power because they are loved by God whose manifest presence transforms lives and cultures. You're called to be a pure revivalist. Who makes you pure? Jesus. How does revival happen? Because Jesus took what was dead and brought it back to life. So that when people look at you just like Drew, they're like, you're not who you used to be. And your response is that, yeah, they're dead. So I feel like, oh, wow, you got, you got weird. It's only weird till it starts working, right? It's only weird till someone's like, wait a second, that's real. I know that you used to hang out with me and drink the way you drank because of the pain in, in your family. You've forgiven your dad? How? I used to hear how, how, how badly you talked about him because he's made me pure and he's revived something within me, and it's our responsibility to be the ones who carry the manifest presence of God. The first way revival happens is we love one another. Jesus said in John 13, starts in 34, he says, so I'm giving you a new, a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Verse 35, your love for one another will prove, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your Bible knowledge won't prove it. Your church attendance won't prove it. Your apologetics and ability to debate someone who doesn't believe in God won't prove it. Your love. I love that if you look past in this scripture, the context of this is Jesus speaking and Peter's there and Simon Peter asks, Lord, where are you going? Isn't it funny that Jesus is like, hey, you'll prove to the world that you're my disciples. And Peter's like, hold up. By the way we love one another, what about by the way we love you and you hanging out with us and us to being buddies? Where are you going? Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you'll follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I'll tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows this morning, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. See, what happened is Peter missed it like you and I miss it. Peter was like, 
Lord, I'll die for you. And Jesus said, I'm not asking you to die. I'm asking you to live love. Because if you live love, it'll prove to people that you're my disciples, that I am who I say that I am. See, Peter thought I was, I was going to be super spiritual. Like, Jesus, I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus is like, no, I'm dying for you. I'm not asking you to die for me. I'm asking you to live for me. To live love, the first way revival happens is by love. If we want to see people come to the table, if we want to see all these blessings that Drew just talked about, we have to love. The second thing that has to happen is we have to pray. John chapter 4, John chapter 4, it talks about the harvest. Jesus says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up, look around. The fields are ready and ripe for harvest. Wake up, look around. Your coworkers are dying and going to hell. Wake up, look around. Your mother needs to see you get a hold of the things of God. Wake up, look around. Your son is going to come back from that addiction because you're getting a hold of the things of God. They saw you play church for a long time, but now they're seeing you fall in love with Jesus, the master, the Messiah, your king. Wake up, look around. And if you jump to Matthew chapter 9, Jesus traveled through the towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. Amen. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. If as a Christian, you don't look at broken people and have compassion, you're living in a place of judgment and you must repent. Jesus showed one emotion more than any other emotion in the gospels. It was compassion. Beauty, the, the beauty of compassion is that compassion can't be done solo. The, the prefix co means together. So compassion is something that we have to have for the community. But look at this last verse. It says he has compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37, so he said to, to his disciples, the harvest is great, right? Wake up, look around. But the workers are few. Verse 38, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers. The second way that revival is going to happen, the second way that people are going to come to the table, yes, go and tell. But some of us, before we go and tell, we got to stop and pray. We got to stop and pray. There's a revivalist. His name was Leonard Ravenhill. These two quotes have really impacted me lately. The first one is, the man who can get believers to praying would, under God, usher in the greatest revival that the world has ever known. The second one, everybody take a deep breath for me, because this one's going to hurt, even me, when I read it. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are staying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. Much fashion, but little passion. Many interferers, but few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here in prayer, we fail everywhere. If we fail to pray, Yes, go and tell, but the workers are few, so pray to the Lord of the harvest. Send more workers. Some of you, the people that you think would never be a Christian, are going to be some of the greatest workers. Pray. We love, we pray, and the last thing we do to see revival, to see people come to the table. And I believe this. The, The Lord put this in my heart. The guys had been studying Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 3. He said to me, Son of man, 
that the Lord had walked Ezekiel into a valley of dry bones, this vision. He said to Ezekiel, son, can the, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. In other words, Ezekiel's like, you only know the answer to that. Verse four, and he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Some of you, as you gather around tables with family in a few days for Thanksgiving, you need to walk in and you need to begin to prophesy that they'll hear the word of the Lord. Now, I know when I say that word, some of you are like, this is kind of getting weird, this whole prophecy thing. Some of us make it more difficult than it really is. The Hebrew word for prophesy here is nabah, and it literally means to speak as a prophet, to communicate a message from the divine. Now, most of us would say prophecy is just about a future event, but look at this definition. It can also be speaking a message of proper behavior to a standard. Now, what that means is that you and I have a responsibility to speak life. We gathered with 92 men on Friday night for our men's event. There were 92 men out at Joseph and Kim's place and it was just a special night, a marking moment. And as I know, many of those 92 men, just like myself, are not perfect and we struggle. It was a moment of prophesying of, you'll be a man of God. You'll be a husband who serves your wife and love. You're gonna be a father who points your kids to the father. Prophesy is speaking life. Some of you need to gather around your family this week and you just need to speak life. Listen about what's going on in their life right now. Prophesy over it. Man, God's gonna bless that. That's incredible. That business idea, I know they're saying it's crazy. I think God wants to bless that. Prophesy. I believe that if we'll love, I believe that if we'll pray, I believe that if we'll prophesy, then the great harvest that Jesus promised is going to happen. And guess who the workers are? It's you and I. When you walk out in these next few minutes, you're walking into a harvest. And this, this is the most crucial piece. Look, if grace gets me to the table and I just sit around thankful for all my life and I bring no one else to the table, do I really understand how good the table is? That's what makes the table so good is that I didn't deserve it. There's no way I should have a seat here because of my sin, because of my guilt, because of my shame. But not only does he give me a seat, he says, hey, son, hey, daughter, invite as many people as you want to. I'll pay for everyone. I'll cover everyone's past. I'll take care of every pain. I'll heal it all. Invite as many as you want. Will you stand to your feet all over the room? This is the greatest blessing that we get to partake in. The bride of Christ, we get to invite them to the table. And so this morning, here's what I'm gonna ask that we do for these next few moments. I believe as we step into this next week, you know, next Sunday we're not gathering in here. So if you show up on site, nobody's gonna be here, okay? You can, you can have church outside. We're gonna do what we call Selah, and we're gonna pause and reflect, and we're gonna gather with our families. But I believe it's a perfect opportunity that as many of you are going to get ready to be with family members and friends this next week, man, the Lord's about to send you into the harvest. And so this is what I wanted to do in this moment. If you're here today and you're like, man, I, I don't know if I've been walking in that. 
I don't know if I've been stepping out, being bold, like Drew said, opening my mouth, sharing the word, then I want you to take this moment and these, right now, right here as the team leads us, I want you to begin to pray for boldness for yourself and I want you to pray for the ones that you know are gonna need it around your table in the next few days. Your mothers, your fathers, your sisters, your brothers, your friends, your cousins, your nieces and nephews. There are so many people we're about to be around that are in need and guess what? You have the chance to invite them to the greatest table. And then if you're in here today and you've never stepped in to the grace of God and and sat at the Father's table, I want to invite you this morning. I want to invite you to the altar to just come to him and say, Jesus, I repent. I turn from those things. But as Drew said, I turn to you, Jesus. And I'm telling you, if you do that today, the old you is gone. And there's a brand new beginning today in Jesus. Amen. So Father, right now all over this room, God, for the one who doesn't know you, God, today is the day of salvation. God, today's the day that they repent. And Jesus, they turn to you and they begin to run after you. But Father, for many of us, it's time for us to take the step. It's time to build some longer tables, to pull some more seats to the table. God, give us the boldness. Right now, God, we're beginning to pray for family members and friends. God, we're no longer going to expect someone else to do it. God, we're going to be the ones. God, we'll be your vessels. We'll share your message. We're going to love them the way that you love us. And so, Father, will you bring them home? Bring them home. God, by your grace, bring them to the table. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on thevoyage.church to stay updated on everything God is doing in our city.